The first Bible reading tonight comes from Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1, and is found on page 3 of the Church Bibles. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Second readings from Matthew chapter 4. If you've got a church Bible, you can find that on page 957. Matthew chapter 4, we're starting at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. Every day, are you tempted? Every day, do you fail? Like me, do you need hope? And do you need help? Then we've come to the right place. So please pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes this evening to see the hope and the help that you give us in the fact that Jesus was tested, tested and proven to be your people, to be your King. Father, please give us the hope and the help that we need. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, said John. 
And so many in Israel amongst God's people came into the wilderness, into the desert, to be baptized, to repent. He was preparing the way for the Lord. He was getting the people ready. And then one day, he came. He came to be baptized. And when Jesus was baptized, you remember, heaven was opened. The Spirit came down like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Wow. That is some announcement, isn't it? I mean, forget Sydney has the Olympics. Forget who wins Bachelorette or The Voice or whatever. This is it out of all the announcements. This is my son, says God. And you're looking to see how the crowd responds, surely. Those who've been baptized already, those who are waiting to be baptized, those on the banks of the Jordan. How do they react? How are they feeling? You're looking for the interview, the cross. What's going to happen now? And what does Matthew show us? What happens next? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. It is a strange next thing, isn't it? The Spirit led him into the wilderness, away from the crowd. Why? He says so explicitly. To be tempted to be tested by the devil. Many people today think that the devil is old-fashioned or a thing for comic books or for horror movies and is simply not real. There is evil, they say, but no devil. Evil, but you don't need a D at the beginning. There's a force like the dark side, but no Darth Vader. But do you see here very clearly... God tells us the devil is real and he is powerful by telling lies and accusing God's people. But no need to be afraid of him. For do you see clearly here? He serves God's purposes. The Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Why? Why would the Spirit do that? Well, the key is to understand what it is that God has just said about Jesus. What did he say? This is my Son. We think immediately we know what that means. It means that God the Father is saying to everyone who wouldn't have realized that Jesus is actually his Son. God the Father, God the Son. But that's certainly not what God is saying here. And it's most certainly not what the people would have understood. They've never heard of God the Son. It's never occurred to them at this point that God has a Son. In that sense. There's no mention of that so far in Matthew's Gospel. He's not saying here that Jesus is God the Son. He's saying, this is my Son, this is the Son of God which means this is my people. 
You see, back in Exodus 4, when God's sending messages to Pharaoh, he says, Israel is my son, let them go. And Matthew quotes something from Hosea in chapter 2, verse 15, on similar lines, out of Egypt I called my son, God's people, Israel. God is saying of Jesus, this is my son, this is my people. A whole nation now embodied, represented, replaced in some sense by this one man, Jesus. And this my people Israel must go into the wilderness to be tested. You see it very strongly, I think, in verse 2. Simple words, but very evocative. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, he was hungry. You see, God's people, when they're about to enter the land, sent explorers, spies, we call them, into the land for 40 days. They saw that it was a good land, but they refused to trust the Lord, and so they would not go in. And in his anger, God said, right, for every day that we enter the land, you will spend a year in the desert dying. One day, one year, 40 days, 40 years. Hunger in the desert. And as they complained and didn't trust God, as God tested them, so each day he gave them manna. Deuteronomy 8 puts it like this, The Lord led you in the wilderness to humble and test you, to cause you to hunger and then to feed you with manna. Why? To teach you. To teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They did live by bread, the bread that God gave them. But they learnt that it came not by their power, but by the word of God. God tested Israel in the desert and they failed. And so God says, this is my son, this is Israel, the new Israel... And now he is to be tested. And so the devil comes to test him. Verse 3, the tempter came and said, If you're the son of God, as God says, tell these stones to become bread. Listen to me, says the devil. Hear my words, not God's. You don't need to learn this lesson. You shouldn't have to wait for the Lord. You don't need to hear his word and wait upon him. Listen to me instead. But Jesus, the new Israel, will not have it. Verse 4, it is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I will listen to him, not you. I will wait for him. And so Jesus is tested and he is proven to be the new Israel. You know, most of the Bible is terribly depressing. Have you ever noticed that? On the third page of this very big book, it goes terribly wrong. They do not trust the Lord and they suffer from that point on. A few pages later, God makes a new start with Abraham, makes wonderful promises. And yet his people, the nation of Israel, continue to disobey him again and again and again. Matthew 3, John the Baptist is calling to them to repent in the desert again. And you can tell it's not going to work. 
by the way he talks about the leaders and the judgments coming. It's a terribly depressing book. It's just like the world, isn't it? On my holiday recently, I always like to read a book on a holiday. The first book, it was set in World War I in a hospital. Carnage as human beings blew each other up year after year after year. I managed to get through two books on my holiday, so for some light relief, I read the survival story of a child who survived a, a concentration camp in Poland. He managed to survive. Extraordinary. And went on to become a human rights lawyer because he thought to himself, never again. And yet in the last section of the book where he told us the, the sorts of human rights campaigns he'd been involved in since Second World War, he kept on having to justify these efforts because it was clear that it wasn't really working. Do you see? What a depressing world we live in because it's filled with human beings. And let's be honest, it seems very clear, doesn't it, that the devil has the upper hand. And yet here God says, this is my son. He is my new Israel. He is my person. And now he is tested and he is proven to be obedient. He is the one. He is a new hope, a ray of hope. But what difference does one ray of hope make? What difference does just one man make? Why does it matter? Well, God says, this is my son. But he doesn't just mean that this is my new people to replace, to improve Israel. Now, in the Old Testament, as the years went on, that God's Son promise began to focus more and more on one person, the one person who represented the whole nation, the king. For in Psalm 2, which God is quoting, he says to the king, you are my son. And so when God says, this is my son, he's not just saying, this is my people, but this is my king. There have been many kings, and so there have been many sons of God but there was going to be one Son of God, one King, the Christ. And so God is saying here, this is my Christ. And so the Spirit leads the Christ into the wilderness to be tested. And the devil tests the Christ as the Christ. Have a look in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, as God says, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil is very crafty. You remember he said in Genesis 3, did God really say? Here he picks up that the key thing with Jesus to win him over is to quote scripture. So that's what he does because he wants to test, to tempt the Christ. The Christ needs people to follow him. And so why not go to the highest point of the temple, throw yourself down, and everyone will follow you. So the devil quotes, quotes from Psalm 91. And he gets it right. 
Psalm 91 really is a psalm about how the Lord promises to protect his people. So much so that he'll command his angels, his messengers, to protect them. So much more the Son of God, the Christ, of course he would protect him. And you've already seen that in Matthew's Gospel. It's true. God sends angels to protect his Christ. Do you remember? Joseph was going to divorce Mary until God sent an angel. Herod was about to kill Jesus until God sent an angel to send him away. And there in verse 11 at the end of our passage again, God sends an angel. The devil is right. God has promised to send his angels to protect you. We tend to think, don't we, that if a preacher or someone who claims to be religious or a Christian says things from the Bible, then we should be able to trust them. We ought to listen to them. If they know bits of the Bible, especially if they can tell us which verse it comes from, they must be a true teacher and a Christian teacher. And we should listen to them. But please notice here, won't you? The devil can do that and do it well. He quotes each word correctly and he gets the context right. So why doesn't Jesus listen to him? Well, he gets the meaning of the verses in their immediate context right. It's how he applies that truth, isn't it? God promises he'll send his angels to protect you. Therefore, throw yourself off the temple. Experience God's protection. Impress the people so they make you king. And it must have been tempting. For God's path is suffering. And the devil's path is to do a miracle. No, says Jesus, verse 7, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, it's one thing to trust God's protection when a crisis comes along. It's another thing to create a crisis to put God to the test. To apply Psalm 91 in a way that contradicts Deuteronomy 6 is not right, is it? To put God to the test would be just like Israel in the Old Testament. So Christ again is tested and he is proven to be the obedient Christ. But the devil's very persistent, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. The devil doesn't call him the Son of God this time and he doesn't quote scripture. But the same thing is happening. Clearly he's testing the Son of God, the Christ. For this is what God had promised to the Christ. Psalm 2. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. You see a sign of it when the Magi, the wise men, come to, to worship the King of Jews from the nations and give him their gifts. And at the end of Matthew's Gospel, it's happened. All authority has been given to me. The devil's not being original here, is he? He's not even gazumping God and offering more than God is offering. He's just matching the deal, do you see? 
but he makes it more attractive. For God's path is suffering. The cross, then glory. The devil's path is easy. Just bow down and worship me. It's not very subtle, is it? Here is the the test that's underneath every test. Here is the sin that's underneath every sin. Will you worship God or will you worship the devil? And Jesus is pretty clear, verse 10, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. God said, this is my son. This is my people. This is my Christ. And so God deliberately led him to be tested. The devil has tested him for three rounds. He's been tested and proven. After three rounds, the point score is very clear, isn't it? So much so that Jesus says to him, away from me, Satan, and the devil does exactly that. Verse 11, the devil left him. Of course, the devil is not finished with Jesus at that point. The testing continued. Do you remember? In the wilderness, he fed the 5,000 with bread. And the devil tested him because the people wanted to make him king there and there. But he withdrew from them. When he explained to his disciples that he must suffer according to God's plan, the devil tested him because Peter said, This must not happen to you, Lord. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. The devil kept on testing him every day, all the way till he was hanging on the cross. And the mockers said, here is the king of Israel, the Christ. Let him come down now and we will believe in him. And what did Jesus do? He stayed in God's plan. Every day he's tested. Every day he's proven all the way to the cross. He's the obedient Israel. He's the obedient Christ. And he fulfills God's plan. He's the sinless saviour, isn't he? The obedient for the disobedient. The righteous for the unrighteous. So that he pays for our sin. And as for the devil, well, Hebrews 2, it says that by Jesus' death, he destroyed the devil. Not just these three rounds. Jesus went the full 15 rounds with the devil and then it finished with a final knockout victory. Every day, you and I are tempted. Whether it's to lose your patience with someone, an unkind word, a lie to protect yourself or something much worse. And every day you and I fail. The devil accuses us in our own minds, doesn't he? What hope is there for you? You'll never change. Do you really think that God loves you and accepts you? We want to change, don't we, so that we don't have that accusation against us anymore. We want to do better. And so we're tempted to read this passage and want answers as to how to better against sin. But that'll just spell more condemnation and disappointment. For this passage, clearly, is not about you, is it? 
And it's not about me either. It is about Jesus. That he is the son who's tested and proven and is victorious. It's a little bit like that, my children's favourite Bible story, Little David and Big Goliath. The boys especially liked it because they identify with Little David who beats Big Goliath. As adults, we like it too, and we want to know, what are those five smooth stones that David got? What are they for you that help you to beat Satan, we ask? But we are not in the story. That's why I always finished when I told that story to my children with the same line. And so, God's king defeated the enemy of God's people. Jesus was the son of God. He was tested. He was proven. Here we see him winning the first battle. And he won the war for us. So tonight we'll sing, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. There's hope for us. But what about when we're tempted? How does this this passage help us with temptation? Well, here we see that the Christ was tested and proven and that he understands and helps us. Coming up on the screen is Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. We have a high priest who understands. Verse 15, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus understands. He was tempted in every way just as we are. We sometimes get confused by that verse for we realise that Jesus wasn't tempted in the same ways that we are. I'm tempted by computers to lose my patience. Do you have that? I'm tempted by my small children to lose my patience. Have you ever had that? Jesus never did either of those. No computers, no children. But he was tempted in every way. No stone was left unturned by the devil in tempting him. He looked for and found every way to tempt him, just as he looks for and finds every way to tempt you, though I think he was more interested in Jesus, don't you? Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted in every way. He was without sin, though, wasn't he? And so that worries us. We wonder, was he really tempted? Does he know how hard it is to be tempted? Well, it's hard to quite get your, ha- your mind around that, I think, that Jesus was God and perfect and was tempted. But think of this for a moment. Who is it who understands how hard temptation is? Is it the person who is tempted and gives in the first time? Or is it the person who is tempted and says no? He's tempted the next day 
and says no? Is tempted the next day and said no? Have you ever done that? If you have, you'll know that's hard. And that is what Jesus did. He knows temptation better because he kept on saying no, unlike you and I. And so Jesus understands what it's like to be tempted. It's good, isn't it, to have someone who understands. But there's more than that. Have a look at verse 16. It's not just that he understands. He understands, therefore, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you do that when you're tempted? Do you stop and pray? Or like me, do you simply give in? Do you remember that you have someone who understands, you can turn to him even at that moment, he understands and ask for his help? Are you confident that there is a throne of grace a high priest who understands and he will give you the grace, the strength that you need in your time of need. He will give you the strength that you need, the endurance that you need. He'll give you a way out from your situation and he'll help you remember God's goodness and that he can be trusted unlike the devil. Are you tempted? Do you fail? Here is hope. Hope because Christ was tested and proven and was victorious. And here is help. We need merely to ask for the help that we need. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus was the Son. Your people in a person who was tested and proven. Father, we thank you that he was your king and that he was tested again and again by the devil and proven to be your obedient king and that he died your obedient king in the place of disobedient sinners like us. Father, we thank you that here is hope for us for the battle has already been won. And Father, we thank you that we have someone in heaven who understands, understands temptation how difficult it is. So, Father, in our time of need, each day as we're tempted, help us to stop and to pray for the grace that we need, confident that your throne is a throne of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name.